So I did that and I just, you know, blew as if I had, I guess you could say, fairy dust in my hands and blew these doors open and this whole portal um, entered and then I started speaking a different language. Hello and welcome to the Maker Mistaker podcast. The Maker Mistaker podcast is a show about self-discovery and personal growth for awakening artists, designers, and makers of all sorts, awakening to a deeper sense of who we are and why we're here on this planet. We walk the line between mainstream success advice and lifestyle design to spirituality and other esoteric subjects. I'm your host, Jeff Finley, and this is episode nine. Today, I'm talking with April Hanna and Mike Habernig. They are makers of the Path documentary series. And on their website, it says it's a documentary trilogy about the afterlife, the realms beyond the physical and the science of consciousness. I've seen personally, I've seen the afterlife and beyond the physical, both amazing documentaries on this subject, probably some of the best you're going to find out there right now. And they've also got a relatively new podcast that they started called the Path 11 podcast. And they've interviewed people like William Buhlman, Teal Swan, Todd Akamesis, and Robert Wagoner. So it's one of my current favorite podcasts about out-of-body experiences, lucid dreams, consciousness, spirituality, that kind of stuff. So this this uh, podcast that we're going to do together is going to be more on that level. So you can find more information about them at thepathseries.com. But before I bring them onto the show, a few updates for me. So I've personally been doing this thing called 100 Days of Making Music, and it is a a commitment that I'm doing every single day. I'm posting through the through the hashtag the 100 Day Project, and it's something that started was started by L. Luna, who wrote a book called The Crossroads of Should and Must, which is highly recommended. I love that book. Um, so they did this 100 Day Project where you just pick a creative thing to do every single day, or something that you've always wanted to do but never make time for. So for me, it was music, and um, as you know, I am an artist and designer and business owner and all this kind of stuff. But music has always been a side project, and it was, and I never really took it seriously because I always felt, well, no one's ever gonna, no one ever likes me for my music, no one ever gives me that much good feedback on it when I post it online, it just kind of gets ignored, you know, because it's not like some cool new design or something like that. So, and and my, none of my bands had many followers, and music never seemed to be a career option. So I was like, well, it's not really worth posting online or committing to it, but. Whenever I did work on my life purpose and kept thinking about what I want to do with my life, music always ended up at the top of something that I I have to do. So I started 100 Days of Making Music, and currently I'm on day 35, 36, and um, I've been practicing guitar, playing piano, composing music, and or composing songs in FL Studio. It's actually really cool to to do this every single day. So you can find follow that project, follow me on Instagram at Jeff underscore Finley and see what I post every day. And I'll also be attending WMC Fest here in August in Cleveland for the first time as a non-organizer. This will be interesting because I founded the festival in 2010 and five years after it, I ended up stepping down as the as the organizer and I left the team just because I wanted to pursue other projects and, and do other stuff. But so I'll be there selling books and t-shirts at the Vendor Village, sending, selling copies of Wake Up, selling some the t-shirts and some stickers and stuff like that. It'll be really interesting to be there without having to worry about how it's being organized. Um, and finally, 
I've got a road trip coming up after WMC Fest. I'm heading out to California to visit some friends and going to be visiting, you know, some people that I know online and, 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 you know, hitting up some spots. I'll be hitting up Circles Conference in September and also making my way around to Virginia to the Monroe Institute to have the OBE intensive with William Buhlman. That's like a five-day workshop, essentially, for out-of-body experiences. And that's going to be really intense and probably pretty inspiring. And, um, you know, without further ado, let's just get started. Let's dive in. So, April, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Jeff. Hi. Thanks for w- welcoming us. Hi, Hi Jeff. You, you sound like a busy man. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I mean, I'm busy, but it, I mean, I'm definitely less busy as far as... Um, because I freelance now, so I don't have as I don't go to a nine to five job. So I wake up thinking, you know, with the clients I have, and right now I've got one client, <laughs> so I don't I don't feel that busy. But yeah, but yeah. Well, and that's great to hear that you're going to the Monroe Institute to try out Williams um, OBE intensive. Mike and I have never really had a chance to actually go there. We've been invited there to be able to do it, but we haven't experienced that ourselves. So I can't wait to hear about it and see what you think. Yes, let's just go with that. I mean, so so that's you guys have done these documentaries where you've interviewed a lot of people at the Monroe Institute, and so well for the for the listeners, the Monroe Institute is this like, well, you wanted to you want to go ahead and describe it, April. I mean, it might be you've been there, so haven't you? Yep. Yeah, we we were there um, a couple of times. Actually, Mike was the one who stumbled upon them, and he he. Fl- the institute just by doing a web search right Mike before we started the documentary yeah it was um, I was listening to Tom Campbell um, I believe it was Tom talking about um, his early experiences this is on an old coast-to-coast radio episode Um, I think with Art Bell this has had to be like oh wow probably like 2006 2007 but I, di- I didn't hear the episode, I think, until early 2008, and there was this whole uh, thing he talked about, and it was how he got started at the Monroe Institute, and he met Bob Monroe, and uh, from there, just listening to that, I researched Bob Monroe, and I found his books, and did more research on the Institute, and I, when the film started to come together, I was thinking, this is probably going to be a central point in the film. Because they are, I mean, they're close, they're somewhat close to New York. And they're studying uh, consciousness and out-of-body experiences. And, you know, they've got several decades now of uh, this testing and experimenting. And I just thought it was interesting. I figured so that that's when we contacted them. Um, This was, by this point, it was probably like mid-2008. Yeah, so Mike, what got you listening to Tom Campbell? I mean, were you into that kind of stuff at the time? <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, this, uh, yeah, it, it, this is kind of written up on our website, too, in my bio. It, uh, back in, this is like going 2006, 2007, uh, I experienced um, a lot of people in my family and close friends just dying um, mm. in a short amount of time. With probably within a year, yeah, we figured it was about a year, and we were, you know, in the funeral home either once or twice a month with, you know, somebody dying, and some were natural, some were, you know, uh, freak occurrences, and when you experience something like that, 
you, at least for me, I, I needed to figure out what was going on, you know, at the bigger picture, you know, where are these people going, if they're going anywhere. I was raised uh, very uh, religious, uh, very Catholic background. And growing up, thinking about this, it wouldn't have been, what's the word, uh, if this had happened any earlier, like if I was living at home with my parents, this I probably would not have researched researched it as much as I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I was working full time. You know, I was married. Uh, my daughter at the time, I think she was like three or four. And you know, you, you start thinking about the people left in your life. You know, on Earth. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you, so I, I just wanted to research it, and I was digging into. Uh, you know, the Coast to Coast episodes, like I said. I found Tom Campbell, uh, William Buhlman. Um, there's a bunch of others. Um, uh, Greg Braden was another uh, big one that I was listening to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if they had written an out-of-body book at that point, I probably had heard their interview. And we contacted a bunch and... Tom and William were like the first ones to get back to us. And Tom had just started out. Uh, his books were published, I think, in 2003. And um, we, we talked to him and he said, yeah, come on down. You know, we'll talk about it. You know, you know if you want to film it, fine. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, so we had set that up and we had talked to William at the same time. And he, he was kind of excited. And we were ex- actually really excited to get William, too, because he's got probably a good 10-year lead at least in the publishing world, um, in the public, uh, compared to Tom. About the afterlife and OBEs yeah. and stuff, yeah. Yeah, but yeah I think uh, uh, William's first book is, or came out in the early 90s. And uh, so he had already a good you know, fan base, and so that, you know, they were a good starting point. And at the same time, I, I believe April, you were the one that contacted the Monroe Institute. Right. And you talked to Skip. And... Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if you want to take it from there, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we um, we ended up just getting together. Mike, I had just put out my website for my own private practice, and I was in the field of, you know, obviously doing some clinical mental health counseling, but I also started dabbling in energy work and Reiki at the time too. So that's kind of how Mike found me. Initially, he wanted to do like this small documentary project. Um, just locally. And he was interested in some of the energy work stuff that I was doing. And he said, Oh, I'd like to make a documentary about you. And I'm thinking, okay, this law of attraction stuff works. I put my website out. I'm getting a call for a documentary, you know, so Mike and I met. And then after we met, we just kind of, you know, I figured in and knew right away, like this can't be a documentary about me. I don't know what the heck I'm talking about at this point, but, um, you know, he had people in mind and then I had some of my own teachers and people in mind. And then it just kind of became this project that we started to organize. And, you know, I did reach out to the Monroe Institute and just, they were wonderful. I mean, it was just kind of like, Hey, we're doing this documentary. Can we come and and interview you? And this is, you know, what we're doing. And, you know, the two of us, we were both working full time. Um, and we each took a week off from our jobs and we got all of our filming done in a week. I mean, it was like in the car to one location, spending hours in one, getting back in the car to our next location and, you know, interviewing everyone along the way. 
So it was, wow. it was an awesome road trip and, you know, we got it all in and we still have a ton of footage that we haven't even released, but that's dating back now to 2008. So this year we're hoping to get back on the road and, um, get some new footage and re-interview some of our people for our last film of the trilogy. Yeah. I've been waiting for that last film. <laughs> you and everyone else. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. April did make a good point. Uh, this actually, in my mind, it started out as like a really small project. Um, you know, I was like, oh, I'll interview a couple local people. Oh, April, I, I think at the time where we were living, she was only like 10 miles down the road. And, uh, you, you know, and uh, there was a couple other people locally. And actually, she knew a few of them that we that were in the first film. And so I was like, oh, this is great. You know, maybe do a couple YouTube clips, you know, or just put it out there and but then once, you know, I think it was probably once we, inter- we talked to the Monroe Institute, it, it just opened up and exploded and we fell down the rabbit hole. And <laughs> the, oh, yeah. You know, it just became this huge project now. Mike, had you made uh, documentaries or, or videos before that? Yeah, I mean, uh, my background was really in like TV news and advertising. Okay. And um, I mean, we did a few documentaries documentaries in college and the one news network I worked at we did do like these little half hour specials every once in a while but I mean and this is kind of styled you know the talking head with the archival footage is kind of styled after one of those episodes that we did but um, yeah I mean not, nothing to this scale before. yeah I love how you take what you take your medium, you know, you're in a video production and, and take your, and then in April, you're also into the, take your interests, you know, and then you go out into it and explore your interests through your medium to, to express it. So it's like naturally gravitated towards video and and interviews. And I remember listening to one of your recent podcasts where, you know, I forget who was it that said that was it, who was it that told you that you would, um, you would, be a, an interviewer or, or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, that was Paul Rademacher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he like saw you and was like, you're going to do this one day. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, no, no way. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you have like your day jobs and you're like, you know, this can never, I can never take this seriously. But I mean, here we are. I mean, you've already got what, I don't know, 10, 12, how many episodes of your podcast? Um, good question. Uh, 17, I think think at this point oh, okay I, I just actually edited a bunch that will probably get us to august and i know that they go up i think that's like episode 19 is edited but i can't remember 16 or 17 is out right now and so how did you guys make the leap from doing these documentaries to doing this podcast well was, this it, is was my- it just not enough <laughs> the documentaries were just not enough well, <laughs> it, we were actually when right before Beyond the Physical came out, that came out in February of 2013. Uh, we were approached, I think, in September of 2012, and we were having actually a lot of production issues with Beyond the Physical getting that off the ground. We had, I don't know, I can go. This is a whole other story, but we, we, I think we start and stopped it probably like four or five times, mm-hmm. and actually had several rough cuts, really rough cuts that just weren't working. And by September of 2012, you know, we we're, were kind of frustrated and, and stuff. And we were actually approached by one of those online radio sites. 
And looking back, it, you know, it was an obvious scam or not really a scam, but a sales thing. They're like, yeah. oh, come join us. If you invest, you know, so many thousands of dollars or whatever, you can have your own show, build your own audience. And we had talked to some of the people on the network. And they're like, oh, yeah, you, well, you, there is that upfront cost, but we did. Uh, we did build our own audience and it was very helpful, but we, we kind of looked at that and I was thinking, you know, we, we could, we could do this on our own, you know, for a lot less money and, you know, if people listen to it fine. If not, you know, it's, it's just an experience and, you know, maybe we'll have fun doing it. So I threw that to April, uh, shortly after we were talking about this online radio thing and <laughs> April's like, no, we should really finish beyond the physical before we do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we actually, uh, I, yeah, then we were actually able to finish beyond the physical and, um, that came out and we, you know, did the marketing for that. And so now this year I just really wanted to pursue that podcast thing again. And I think it was February, January, February, um, I, I said, I pitched it to her again and I don't know, I don't, April, I don't know if you were really hesitant about it, you, but you were like kind of, I don't know. She wasn't. Mike, <laughs> Mike gets easily sidetracked. So, you know, it's like we start working <laughs> on the third film again and I'm like, okay, we're building momentum, you know, because obviously it's been years since Beyond the Physical came out. And then Mike's like, no, I really think we should do this podcast. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, okay, do you realize there is some work that goes into this? And, you know, we both have our own full-time jobs and just knowing of, you know, trying to get guests on and, you know, him editing the shows and taking the time on Fridays to do the hour interviews and all that. I'm saying, all right, we're pushing off the third film a little bit more, you know, but in essence, he kind of twisted my arm until I said, you know, uncle. And I said, okay, let's do it. And I'm glad that I did. You know, I think that it was a, it's a great move. I think we are getting a lot more fans. We're exposing, um, you know, the information, getting it out there quicker to people. And, and, you know, I think that we're kind of building a new audience and a bigger audience for the third film when we, you know, kind of get to it. And, and we are dabbling in the editing stages of it too, but, you know, we're also feeling like we want to get some newer footage because our footage is from 2008 and we kind of want to catch people up to see, you know, where the expert, experts are now and how they've kind of, where they've come since 2008. And, you know, the other weird thing, not weird really, but I kind of feel that the project has really a mind of its own. Um, you know, when you're kind of working with this medium and trying to get this information out there, I just kind of feel like Mike and I are the tools allowing the information to come through and happen. I remember when we uh, finished the first film, Mike and I like turned to each other when we were screening it with our family. And there were times where like, I don't remember editing that clip to you. And I'm like, no, I don't remember that either. You know, and it almost feels like when we're in the editing room, we kind of go into this trance-like state of putting the film together. And it doesn't really feel like we as physical people are doing that, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Sure. And, you know, and it took a while for the second film to come out. And of course, you know, our fans every day, you know, when's, when's the next one? When's the next one? Looking forward to it. And you kind of feel that pressure, um, you know, just from like a business standpoint, from marketing standpoint, from just having this product that your fans want. And I kind of feel like, you know, we, we can't rush what spirit wants wants to happen when it's supposed to happen. And, you know, Mike even said after the second one, he said, you know, 
I mean, I think we both feel our second one is done a lot better. Um, and he said, I, I never would have been able to put in some of the graphics because the technology at the time wasn't even available to him to do that, you know? So I think yeah. we're just kind of trusting the flow and the process as to when the third film will come out. But, you know, we'll probably be editing a lot more once we get some new footage in the wintertime this year. Yeah. So tell me about, I mean, tell the listeners rather about your first film and the second film and then what your intentions are for the third film. You want to take that, Mike? Um, sure. I was hoping you were going to take the first film. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. more, I don't know. That's yeah, well, more, the, it seems to me more your film. Uh, yeah, the, well, the first film um, had probably more of some of my own personal teachers in it. Uh, I know that, you know, Mike, focus for the first film, The Afterlife, was really about, well, it was kind of your film too, Mike. I mean, this was like your whole investigation into what happens when people die, because that was the journey that you were going on after you were experiencing all these deaths. So I feel like in some ways, the film really answers a lot of questions that Mike had personally. Um, you know, and it covers a wide range of topics from life after death to near-death experiences. We had um, a woman, Lindsay Sass, that was struck by lightning and died and came back. Um, we cover topics of tragic death and suicide. Um, and also what I found interesting was each person that we interviewed, you know, the way that the film starts out is really getting their personal accounts of knowing or have an idea or an experience that there is something beyond our physical bodies, whether it's like these personal stories that they had about dreams or I know, um, uh, Patty, she was an instructor at the Monroe Institute, gave a really neat story about her phone ringing and hearing her mother's voice on the answering machine. So I feel like for people who have lost someone, it gives people a lot of hope that maybe there is something and that the people that they have lost, you know, do go on somewhere where that is, you know, we're not sure, but we also kind of touched upon belief systems as well, which also comes from Mike's background. I mean, I grew up Catholic as well, but my family wasn't very strict and, you know, we weren't 100% churchgoers. And I remember because my mom didn't go to church every single Sunday, the, um, the priest refused to baptize me. So there was like this whole thing. So we weren't as, I would say, diehard Catholics as maybe Mike's family was, but you know, we also had to put an element of that into the film because a lot of Mike's personal beliefs around religion and Catholicism were questioned when he had this experience that one year. So that's why we also tried to get that part in into our films, too, it's because, you know, sometimes our belief systems can really put us in a box that won't allow us to go outside and explore and maybe take into consideration that there are other ways that we can experience life as we're here. So that kind of, I think, encompasses what the first film, The Afterlife, is. And the second film is, re after you realize you're more than your physical body, you, you kind of want to explore that, and at least for me anyway. So that's when I, you, you tap into the out-of-body experiences, the remote viewing, um, things of you know, psychic nature, and we really took just the core, I don't want to say out-of-body people, Tom, um, I don't think Tom really likes to be called that, even though he does it. Mm -hmm. But um, So we took the core, and it, it just happened to be just the male 
figures from the first film, um, Skip and Paul from the Monroe Institute, William and Tom. And we kind of had to tell their backstory a little bit. They each get their own little introduction, their own story. And the whole film is pretty much them weaving in and out of the Monroe Institute. And um, so, yeah, it, and they talk about, you know, obviously out-of-body experiences and, um, you know, just dealing with that knowledge. And, um, yeah, so I hope, you know, we, we were able to tell it that, you know, what, how do I say that, how uh, make it, I guess, comprehensible and entertaining at the same time for that subject matter. Yeah, yeah. And have you had your own out-of-body experiences, either of you, before that or during this film? Yeah. Um, I In the podcast, I kind of talk a little bit about my experiences. I try not to do it too much, even though, you know, when we're talking to, like, William or uh, yeah. even Todd or Graham Nichols, I kind of <laughs> kind of just throw my experience in there just to make sure that I'm not going crazy and it's just, it's really you know, a legitimate experience. And uh, so I've had, I've had some, and a lot of them actually were triggered. Uh, the really good ones, the really rememberable, rememberable experiences happened when we were editing beyond the physical. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, they're nowhere near the scope of, you know, the experts we've had on the show. Um, but Sure. They they're you know definitely a starting point. So, was it was your first OB like a spontaneous one, or did you like learn about them and then try to practice until you had one? Uh, I would say no, no. I wouldn't. Well, kind of spontaneous. I for at least when we we're doing the afterlife, I was actually trying it and trying the techniques, and nothing's really seemed to be working. I had a few probably. I don't know if you would even want to call them a lucid dream. Well, yeah, I did become lucid in a dream, but it wasn't, I mean, it only lasted like maybe five seconds after I realized what happened. And it, that never really seemed to take off the, uh, my own, I guess, trying it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until we were doing uh, a lot of the hemisync work for Beyond the Physical. And there's a whole scene in the film where we're testing the tones and, you know, the one ear, the right ear or the left ear, the right ear and the differences. And just listening to all that, I believe it was that night. I, I did have a spontaneous, uh, uh, event that happened. Yeah. And, uh, it was nothing that I've ever experienced before. Um, it was, (laughs) people say hyper real, uh, experience where it's clearer than physical life mm-hmm. and I, I just experiencing that was amazing and then coming back it uh it was almost like to breathe again was a chore and just i don't know if i stopped breathing at some point because it actually hurt to breathe again and so wow <laughs> maybe at, at first i thought maybe i should see a doctor uh <laughs> but uh it it turns out that you know it, that was uh, a legitimate experience and um yeah it just changed the way i looked at it just after having that experience yeah can, do you want you know feel free to go into detail like what was it like tell us more about it 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 started out and it, the actually the technique and it was um 
I can't remember if I had, the reason why I'm not sure if it's spontaneous or not is because I can't remember if I intentionally did the technique to trigger it. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, I had gotten up in the middle of the night, probably about three o'clock in the morning, and I had done a little bit of work. I was probably working on the film, and then I had gone back to sleep, probably around five o'clock. And that—that's anymore. That's actually a typical kind of schedule. If I don't stay awake the whole time for the rest of the day, but mm-hmm. yeah, I had gone back to sleep, and it sometimes that going back to sleep at you know, a couple hours later is probably the, you know, even if it's only like an hour, it's sometimes the best sleep you get compared to the rest of the night. And it started out as a lucid dream. And then the dream just kind of got, it's just went totally bizarre. And I started picking out things like, that's not, this is ridiculous. You know, usually in a dream, I'm, I get very gullible. I believe everything going on. Yeah. And I don't become lucid. But I, I started picking things out like, oh, that would never happen. This must be a dream. And all of a sudden, it kind of just went dark. And I, I, I kind of was like dropped into the scene. Um, the best way to explain it was you, you, if you pull into like a drive-in movie theater, you know, the whole theaters or the whole area is dark except for the screen. Mm-hmm. And the screen just got bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in this scene. And it happened to be like a restaurant in the morning, like a bunch of businessmen going, had showed up to have breakfast together. And this is a couple of weeks before Christmas so that you could see like Christmas stuff on the walls. And um, These people just started showing up and they're all wearing suits and it was in a restaurant. You know, the hostess is trying to seat them. And it was so real. I was looking around. Uh, one of the guys um, that was in front of me, I shook his hand and, you know, they went to go get seated. And then from there, it 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 kind of the physics changed, and I kind of floated out of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that. Uh, and then from there, it, it was kind of like, am I having an out of body experience? Because this is not a dream; it's too real to be a dream. And then I was kind of shown like this whole. I was like surrounded. Almost, almost like in a dome kind of a, a structure, and I was kind of surrounded by uh, like this kaleidoscope effect, where I could just see every these all these different scenes playing on. It's kind of like um, uh, let me like the movie The Matrix, uh, not the first film, but one of the later films where Neo walks into the room and there's all these TV screens around him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like that, and you just see all these like scenes playing out all over and I didn't recognize anything so I don't know if they were my own or somebody else's or just a collage of people and I saw that and then it all came they all kind of compressed into like a beam of light and I woke up out of it (laughs) that's basically it (laughs) I don't know how much you want to keep of that but that I kind of rambled on but that was kind of cool I mean I feel like when we when we talk about OBEs and we talk about these type of esoteric things, we we kind of get a little theoretical and philosophical about it. But like, I really like the, just the detail of the actual experience, you know, because that's the real part. That's the part that's subjective that you got to see and experience and feel. And, you know, we talk a lot about, about, about this and a listener can might understand it intellectually, but like, I, I love the story of, I love experiencing it with you. I, I remember when I first had 
some of my own OBEs, um, I know exactly what you're talking about with the hyper real, um, like extra vivid detail. It's like more real than than waking reality. And it's and because it feels it's not, you know, it's not a dream because your conscious presence is like more there. It's more like, you know, you're more critical thinking and you, you know, you're in a dream and then you can like put your you know, I use I like to put my finger through my hand to see if I'm still dreaming. Okay. You know, and if it goes through my hand, then I know I'm in the non-physical, whatever, whatever dimension this is, you know, it's, it kind of varies. But I remember walking outside of my house and, and just think seeing the fall foliage and it just seemed to be way more intense. And it was like just this struck by this beauty and everything seemed real. I felt the wind on my face, the grass and my toes. It was like, whoa, this is so cool. This is real. And I, I like wanted to like take a video of it. So I like reached in my pocket for my phone, you know, in the in the out of body state, like by habit. And then um, and then, of course, I like woke up at once I did that. And it was like, ah, oh, damn it. You know, but I yeah. was just like sitting there laying there afterward, just in complete like awe of like this experience and, and how profound it is. So, I mean, I, I talked about this on the gossipist podcast i talk about my own experiences and stuff like that so if the listener if you if you want to you know hear some of my own stuff we go more into detail we talk about obes more into detail about like whether they're all in your head you know what is where does where do these come from what's the difference between this and dreaming and everything like that so if you go to makermistaker.com and search and click on my podcast you'll see that i've linked to that episode it's not on my podcast it's on another one called um gossipist or a glimpse of brilliance or whatever they they call it now but but yeah yeah so like i love your experience mike and and so once you had that one did you did that kind of spark a, a newfound interest of trying to go back and explore more and go deeper yeah um yeah and it didn't happen for probably another month or two yeah um but before that thinking about it there were a couple little experiences where you just kind of wake up in the middle of the night and you're in the vibration state and, you know, everything's humming, you know, whatever. And there's a couple of times where I felt like I was floating and, you know, uh, I, I used the term in a show. I don't know if the show is out yet, but uh, like we're spinning in it like as a rotisserie kind of. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I don't have any control, but I know I'm not in a dream. Uh, I'm just like floating probably like just a couple of feet above the bed. And the other thing, too, is uh, there's always a presence. Like when I'm in the room, uh, at least having an experience in my room, there's always a presence. I can't see them. I can't. I, I can hear them walk through the room. Mm -hmm. And, oh, that was the other thing with that experience. At some point, actually, there, it, it, I can't remember exactly where it happened in it. But it was early on, and it was kind of going between the dream and the out-of-body experience. Uh, I did get the sense that I was in my bedroom asleep, and I heard my daughter walk in. I, at least I thought it was her. Mm -hmm. It's like I, I heard, you could actually hear the carpet crunching as she walks on it. And like I had a super surreal um, hearing. And... I think I tried to call out to her, like, oh, what do you need, you know, probably after me to get breakfast going for her or something. And there was no response, there was no nothing, but I could feel this presence there. And then I, I believe at that point I was sucked into that, you know, that, that almost 
I used that term like a drive-in movie theater where the screen, where everything went black, and the screen just got closer and closer, and the, and then I was dropped into the scene, and then it only seemed like maybe a minute or two that I was in that experience, and I came back. Nobody was in the room. The door was still closed. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the other thing too, when I did come back, and I'm, you know, I had that weight on my chest, like I couldn't breathe. I was kind of hallucinating. Like I was just, <laughs> it kind of looked like spiders just crawling all over the wall. Um, the sun had come up at this point. I think uh, the sun was out. Yeah. And, you know, it was pretty bright in the room at this point. And you just see things. And every time I focus my eye on something on the wall, you just see like stuff crawling around it. Um, and it just, it was just my eyes trying to readjust, I guess, to <laughs> the waking state. No, I know what you're talking. I know what you mean. I mean, I used to have night terrors as a kid, and actually, I still do sometimes. Um, but it wasn't until I started my meditation practice and started becoming, you know, more mindful, and and I when I had my spiritual awakening and I started finding, you know, interest in all of this stuff. That's when those night terrors, which were essentially, I would be, I would wake up in the middle of the night with this just this extreme terror, this fear. And, uh, and definitely a sense of a presence in the room, like bad presence, like or, or outside the door. I'm like I'm my eyes are open, but my body can't move, you know, and I'm staring outside the door and it just feels like evil exists, you know, or like I, the Grim Reaper is waiting for me to die. So it's or something like uh, that. Yeah. And and it's like, you know, the presence is there. You can't see or see it. And it just you just know that it's there. And I'm trying to, like, escape or get out of it or crawl out and I can't do anything. And I mean, that experience I've had has has been different permutations, you know, so maybe it's different. It's not the same every time. So like when you're seeing the spiders on the wall or something like that, I feel like there's a state where our fear is manifesting. Like, so we're in this half awake, half asleep phase where we're, we're like kind of split in between different dimensions, you know, in the astral versus the physical. And so we're, we're kind of seeing a, a, our physical room overlaid with our, I don't know if you might want to call it dream imagery or something like that, but I don't know. I don't really understand why there's so much fear in my case and it manifests in, you know, strange stuff in my environment, whether it's the shadow beings or in, in a recent scenario, I was, my cat was attacking me, you know, and I was like crushing its arm. Like I was breaking the cat's leg and, and it was like, this was my way of trying to fight it, you know? And then mm-hmm. I saw like these strange hairless dog beings outside my bedroom window kind of creep up, walk, you know, they weren't like trying to attack me, but they were just horrifying to see. And I was trying to get my, the attention of my wife, like, oh my God, what are these out there? <laughs> and because it was like, I thought it was sort of real and I would like wake up and, and then realize it was all part of that strange, um, I would call it a night terror before, but now I just understand that it's on the continuum of consciousness. You know, it's like, I probably could have turned it into an OBE or something like that, or maybe it already was. I don't know. But yeah, I, I, so I, I know what you're talking about, man. I, I've never had a, a night terror quite like the way you explained it. Um, I remember growing up, I, I, I always got a lot of nightmares, uh, growing up and up until probably maybe high school. I, I don't think I've had a nightmare since high school, but before that I would have these crazy, crazy dreams, crazy nightmares. Like, like you said, there's that presence, um, behind the door. I couldn't see, ever see anything. Um, but yeah, there, there was, yeah, I don't know. I, I, 
my bed used to be at my parents' house next to the window, and I always felt like somebody was looking in. And uh, even though we're on the second floor, <laughs> yeah, it, it oh, just man. it's like you just feel like you're being watched. And uh, but yeah, then I, I guess I, I don't know. I grew out of it. I, my thing, you know, things in life changed, and you're, you do other things. Yeah. It reminds me, and I don't know if it's actually in the film or other footage that we have from Tom, but, you know, Tom and William kind of talk a lot about the fear and things that we can encounter during the out-of-body experience. Like William gave the example of the sloth and, you know, I've heard Tom Campbell say before that you're kind of being tested in a way. You know, your fear is being tested to see, are you really ready to handle what's next and are you ready to kind of go beyond? So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that when we talk about fear and those, you know, crazy dogs that you saw and breaking the arms of the cat and all that was probably just a good test to see, are you ready to keep moving forward? And I think when you make progress in those dreams, or maybe you are able to wake up and be a little more lucid and kind of say, okay, what's happening here? Let me, you know, let me open the window and let those dogs come in and see what happens that I think whatever's kind of helping us on the other realm it's, you know, we're kind of in school at that time. You're, you're taking a test and are you going to pass or are you going to fail it? So I think that's where some of the fear comes into play. Um, I know more recently I had some out-of-body experiences too when we were doing the film, but I had a really cool one recently because I met a shaman from Russia who actually Mike and I will probably interview on our podcast too. I just have to get her schedule together. Um, but met her because she was interested in coming up to Saratoga Springs, New York and to see some people. And I have a pretty nice office space. So we met and, you know, just to kind of get a feel for each other and see if she could do some of her sessions here. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't experienced a session from her yet, but she works a lot with power animals and, you know, the spirits of animals in her healing sessions. And I met her, I think, like on a Thursday or a Friday, and my dreams were so crazy and so vivid after meeting her. And before this one dream that I'll share with you guys that I had, and I think it was an out-of-body experience, I kind of had a little bit of this nightmare where I literally felt like I had an angel and a devil pulling me. Like I was either, my energy was either going to move to good and love, or it was going to move to death. And, you know, I'm struggling and struggling in my dream because obviously I want to go to where this beautiful angel is, but then I feel this dark presence pulling me too. And I realized like my fear was, okay, well, I'm probably going to die here if this negative energy takes me. But then I kind of woke up in the dream and remembering all that I've learned through making these documentaries that, well, there really is no death. And I remember saying that in my dream and I said, well, it's okay. Either one of them can take me because, you know, I'm still going to go on to wherever I need to. And then all of a sudden I woke up and that negative entity just kind of like released me and I didn't really go anywhere, but I kind of felt like that was a test of fear. And then the night after, um, my out-of-body experience was I woke up in my bedroom and I kind of got off the side of my bed and the shaman was there. And she put this headdress on me and this cloak and she had me open up my closet doors and I had to blow into my hands, which would open up this portal of more doors to open. 
So I did that and I just, you know, blew as if I had, I guess you could say fairy dust in my hands and blew these doors open and this whole portal um, entered. And then I started speaking a different language. Wow. And so I woke up and I was like, wow, that was really freaky. And, and I feel like that I might not have had that experience if I didn't have that dream before about this negative and positive of energy because it was, it was weird, you know, to wake up and here she is, she's in my bedroom and I could literally feel myself standing up and I felt disoriented and I felt this headdress get put on me and this cloak. And, you know, I looked into my closet and there was a whole nother world in there. But the funny thing after this dream, my cousin sent me a text message, maybe one or two days afterwards. And she said, Oh, I just, I have to tell you, I had the funniest dream about you. We were out in public at some, you know, fair and there was a guy that was acting really obnoxious and you turned to him and you blew on him. It was like you blew this fairy dust on him and all of a sudden he started behaving. Now, (laughs) I was like, what the hell just happened? I'm laughing because, you know, I just had this crazy dream with this shaman you know, a couple of days ago, I hadn't reached out to my cousin. I didn't tell her about this dream. And I just thought how ironic here I am blowing in my hands, you know, blowing this, whatever this is to open up this portal. My cousin, you know, an hour and a half away is having a dream of me two nights later of me blowing fairy dust on someone. And then I met the shaman the next week. And she said, you came to me in a dream a couple of days ago. So I found that interesting too. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's just like one recent experience. But yeah, in regards to energy and seeing energy and feeling energy, I don't really even know how to put words to it anymore because it's just like, it's, it's a part, it's a second part of my life that I just do day in and day out. So, um, I guess I'd, you'd have to ask me some more specific questions, maybe if you were curious about something. Yeah. Well, I want to share something that you, you just brought, you just triggered in me a memory. So like I had, it was a recent recent OBE that I had, I was actually with a group of people in this apartment or like it actually seemed like a, an abandoned house, kind of like a, a, a flop house, you know, so there was a, a group of us and we were staying there and it was, we were all sleeping on the floor type of a thing. And then I remember uh, my grandfather-in-law, like I had talked to, he was in my dream and I talked to him and he said something about how he has out-of-body experiences. And I was like, no way, like you have them too, you know, like what have you done, you know, because and and he's actually blind and so i was like can you see in your obes and he said no he can't or whatever but then there was another guy in there was there staying in front of a whiteboard and he was going on about some theory of obes he had all these uh diagrams that he was drawing and he said that um one the one thing i remember that i wrote down afterward was he said oh the reason why there is things like terror and war and all the violence in the world is because of our addiction to certainty. That is what he said. And as I woke up and was like, oh, that was interesting. Okay. So I wrote that down actually. But, um, in the, after he said that, I remember going to sleep with the group and then having an OBE within my dream and going up the stairs and then, um, like having the OBE, the full on, like feeling the vibrational state intending to go out. Okay. Now I'm out. I'm going up the stairs in this dream house, this house I'm at. And then I fully intend to, Take, and I, this is what I said. I said, any spirit guides want to reveal themselves on camera so I can show the group. And of course, here I am getting out my phone again. And then I <laughs> wake up. Um, and that was interesting because a couple, two days later, or no, the next day, uh, Todd Akamisis posted on his 
Facebook page that he had an OBE last night and ended up in a classroom where he was teaching a bunch of people, uh, teaching a whole group of people about OBEs and stuff like that. And then, you know, and then I was like, well, that's interesting. I just had a dream or an OBE last night where I was with a group of people and there was someone standing in front of a whiteboard teaching people about OBEs. Really, really coincidental and, and interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt, I don't know if it was Todd, you know, because it didn't seem like it had his energy. It seemed like it was a different type of energy. Like, I don't remember his face, but, but, um, yeah. So, April, tell us more about your, your day to day. I mean, you do a lot of energy work with clients and stuff like that. So, well, how does this, how do you relate to what we're talking about with energy and, and to, you know, why you do it and what got you into it? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, um, I do mental health counseling by trade, but I remember how I got into it was I was a rape crisis counselor when I first got my bachelor's degree and we hired a new male staff and his name was Chris and he was working there for quite a while. We were at lunch, the whole staff one day, and we start talking about dreams and I had a really vivid dream uh, in my 20s. I would dream about houses all the time. I would be in pieces, people's houses every single night. And it got to the point where I started to draw diagrams of them because I said to myself, if I ever walk into a house that I've been in, I want to have proof that I could show people like, look, I was here because I had an experience like that that happened to me when I walked into a relative's house that I had never um, met in Arizona. And I dreamt of the home and I was able to you know, pick the whole layout um, obviously before I ever stepped in foot in the home. And then when I got into the house, I completely freaked out cause I knew where everything was. So I started having more vivid experiences like that in my twenties. And so we were at a staff meeting for lunch and he starts, um, talking about his wife and, you know, she's a nurse, but she's pretty psychic. And yeah, she woke up this morning and told me about this crazy dream that she had. And he remembered it. She just told him this morning and he described the dream that I had that same night. It was a yellow house and he described the way I could remember it, how, you know, you walk up the stairs and you take a left and there's a bedroom there. And I'm like, oh my God, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was in that house last night. So I was like, who is your wife? And I need to meet her. Hmm. And we interviewed her in the first film, Jeanette Foe is her name. And, you know, she's an RN by trade, but she's also done some shamanism work, therapeutic touch. She's trained in Kabbalistic healing. Um, she went through the Barbara Brennan school of healing as well. So I was like, well, I need to meet her cause this is so crazy. And I went and I had a session with her and she was the first person that ever put her hands on me and gave me an energy healing. And I was like hooked ever since, um, you know, in that session and just kind of exploring what was going on in my life at the time, stuff healed for me that I wasn't able to heal prior. And it really made me, you know, in having that experience, believe that, there's something else happening here and movement of energy and working with an energy healer can heal things that maybe talk therapy can't or, you know, just trying to figure things out in your head cognitively and intellectually and trying to make sense of it to heal from it. So that's kind of how I got started in it. And then, you know, I was just trying to find something that had credibility because that's what people in this world look for. You know, do you have the degree? What, what's your credibility thing yeah. at the time? So, and really one of the only um, techniques out there that was giving certificates was Reiki. So I said, okay, well, you know, let me do this. And, you know, then through the films and interviewing 
people, I started to understand energy differently. So my energy sessions, I would say shifted since then. Um, and you know, working with Tom Campbell has really increased, I would say some of my accuracy and healing techniques, just learning the techniques that he uses and, you know, his theory about stuff, which really helped me to bring, um, more awareness into people's bodies of, you know, being able to look inside, to be able to see where energy patterns are off or where there is physical pain and, you know, how to work within that energy, within the body and things of that sort. And then, you know, studying out of body experiences. I think that I go out of body probably during every healing session that I do. It's not, not like what you guys describe. I'm not, you know, asleep and then going up and out, but anytime I'm doing a healing session. I mean, there's a part of me that's walking around the person's body. You know, I may be touching their head, but I'm also working down at their feet because they may have pain there or something within their knees. And then this whole energy work stuff has just opened up so many areas to be able to experience what a spirit guide is, to see angels. You know, I have some sessions where I am able to connect with deceased loved ones for people. Like some people will just show up and I get a ton of information and it means nothing to me. And I share it with the client and they can relate to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is happening for me day in and day out on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who wants to experience that for myself, uh, how do I, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about seeing angels or spirit guides and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, okay, well, let me experience that. I want to experience it. I, you know, so I don't know. I think I don't I'm not sure where I how how to experience it, but my intention or my I guess assumption is that it maybe it's not as obvious as I think. It's not like a literal one-on-one meeting with an actual angel, but at least when I hear people talk about it, it's like they see it but they but it's not in physical. They see it with like their imagination overlaid on top of the reality. Can you describe what it's like to see an angel or a spirit guide or work with that? Yeah, it's really strange. I was thinking about that when Mike and I, we were interviewing just um, somebody this this past week for our podcast, and he was talking about the vision, you know, that you kind of have an out-of-body experience and how it's different. And -hmm. it's the same way. I mean, it's a totally, it's not... Like some people say, like, what do you see, April? Like, how how do you see? How do you see in so much detail? And you're not seeing out of your physical eyes. It's not as if this angel is appearing in front of me. And I'm sure that there are some energy workers and healers that, you know, have their eyes open and can, you know, really see things out of their physical sight. But that's not my experience. My Mm -hmm. experience is usually when I'm doing these sessions, my eyes are closed. It's a little bit easier for me to go into that altered state of consciousness when, when my eyes are closed, my personal preference. And it's a different vision where it almost, my vision comes from like my gut area, my stomach and my third eye. And it would be as if I was dreaming and then, you know, certain images or energy patterns or colors or sensations that I'm feeling in the room will appear. And I can, for some, some experiences, I can describe what the person looks like, how tall they are, what their body shape was. Did they have blonde hair, brown eyes, um, you know, short builds, tall builds, stocky, skinny, you know, really tall. You know, those are things that sometimes I can visually see, but it's not as if a picture, like I'm looking directly at a picture and my eyes are open. So I don't, I don't really even know how to explain it, but it is like a different type of vision 
and probably very similar to a lot of people use the example of everyone has probably experienced going into a room and you can feel the energy of the room. Like if you go in and there's just been an argument, you know, you can't see that energy, but you can feel it. Mm-hmm. So there's almost a sense of sight there that you see that there's see and feel something different in the room that the energy has shifted. Or if you're going into a party and everyone's in a, you know, a really good mood, you can feel and sense that as well. Yeah. So, and you know, you said like, how do you do it? I think, I mean, everyone talks about it, like in all the people that we studied. And I really think you have to have a meditation practice first mm-hmm. and continue to be open to that. And then what are those experiences? And I think the more you journal about it, the more that you're just open to whatever, like maybe not being stuck on seeing an angel, but you know, whatever, whatever a presence may be, and then see if you can ask questions while you're in that state. Well, does this feel male or female? Does it, this thing feel tall or short? Uh, does it have a, a, a really strong presence or does it seem very gentle and very kind? So I think, you know, you can just play with some of those quick questions in your mind when you're in that meditative state. Yeah, and being really more in touch with your emotions. And, and be, when you do get more in touch with your emotions, especially if you've got a meditation practice that's you're kind of used to paying attention to what's going on between your thoughts and your emotions and your visions and your imagination that you get. And some of the things that you see because you intended to see it or some of the things that show up in your imagination that you weren't expecting. I remember when I was doing my quantum sphere healing uh, workshop with Carla Fox in Colorado last September. This was my first time going into something like this. And we used HemiSync technology and we also used the SAM technology that the Monroe Institute offers to kind of put us in an altered state of consciousness. And so for the listener, the HemiSync is basically binaural beats with uh, two different tones in each of your ears with your headphones. And together when played, they create a tone that's like in between those two different tones. So like 100 hertz, 104 hertz, you know, left and right. And then you get the four hertz in the middle, which will entrain your brain to be in a certain frequency, which helps you tune into um, different states of consciousness. And so, for example, one might be really, really focused and laser focused, blocking out all distractions. That's what that's a form or another one might be really broad and expanded and and being able to see deep into your subconscious, for example. So we use these technologies to um, work with a client in our energy healing. So April, we like practice with a client and, and essentially we would journey sort of shamanistically through our imagination. Um, and it was, it took me a while to trust my imagination because I'm thinking this is just my imagination. Like I thought I'm supposed to see visions and see like, you know, which is like, that's what it is essentially. But what happened was I wasn't trying to analyze. I would just literally write down the things that I saw when I was working with the client. And then I would just write it down, write it down, write it down. It's like, oh, I saw all of a sudden in my mind's eye, when my eyes are closed, a vision of a person, of a, of a baby on a beach and a person, a mother figure talking to somebody else. And then all of a sudden I see that woman or I see somebody abduct the baby. I'm like, ooh, that was interesting. Okay, write that down. Or I'll see like shapes and colors and fire or flames or a sword or like death or gore or something really scary. And I'll just like write that down, write that down. And then when I report it back to the client, they were like just profoundly amazed. They're like, oh, my gosh, that was when this happened. That's my, that's this. That's that. And they could pinpoint all the things that I saw that I had no meaning attached to. And so it blew my mind as well because I worked with several different clients and the things they reported to me were all like very similar. Like they they saw the same things when they were working with me. 
And so that kind of helped me convince my, my left brain, my logical, rational mind that there was something more to this and I can trust it. And, and I think the belief has a lot to do with it too. Like if you believe you can't, then that's true for you. If you believe you can, then that's also true for you. Um, it, it really helps if you believe kind of, or at least have an open mind to accept something like this and then it'll actually start to happen more for you. Is that something that you can agree with or how do you, what's your take? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And I think it's building confidence, you know, because Mm -hmm. you're kind of asking yourself, am I making this up? Did I really see this? And, um, actually a story about Mike's wife, she came in for a Reiki session um, you know, when Mike and I first started working together, cause she had never experienced it before. And I remember during her session, and I tell this story a lot when I teach Reiki to my students to tell them, no matter what you see or hear, write it down. It may not mean anything to you. But, um, during her session, I kept like seeing hot dogs. I was getting hungry for hot dogs. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, why I, I can't tell this woman I'm seeing hot dogs. Like, this is so embarrassing. Like she came here for an experience and I'm going to say hot dogs, you know? And, um, Mike, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I was like, well, I'm just, you know, my Reiki teacher said just whatever you see share because you never know. And her father had recently passed away and, you know, I didn't know him or anything like that. And I told her, I keep seeing hot dogs. And she shared the story with me that whenever her dad would come over to, you know, her house with Mike's house, he would bring the dog hot dogs. Wow. Do you remember that story, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. And so it was really probably in, in her session that I said, all right, stop thinking you're crazy. You know, like I knew, I barely knew anything, you know, I'm just meeting Mike and his wife for the first time. I didn't have any information about who they were. And I had a lot of experiences like that leading up to it. And I finally just kind of had to say to myself, all right, you're not crazy. Just share, just share it from now on. And so I call those getting hits. And the more that I was getting more hits during my energy sessions and not feeling stupid with saying, oh, you know, look, look at what I saw here. You know, this word came to mind or I'm hearing this song being played and I just shared it. Then I started to relax and loosen up a little bit with it. And I feel like my accuracy now has tripled because of that, because I'm no longer afraid to just say what it is or feel stupid or maybe a part of it was my imagination and they'll say no that that doesn't mean anything to me but that did and that did and that did so you know I think it's practice practice makes perfect and if you can work on people and get validated in what you see that builds confidence and then I think you begin to trust your intuition a lot more yeah that's awesome April I mean actually that's really incredible I think it's great advice so to be able to trust your intuition and trust the trust that those emotions that you feel and the hits that you get. I mean, that's so much part of this path of of exploring your your right brain, your intuition, the the non-physical side of life is is opening up, feeling the fear, being mindful of it, not not trying to judge or make too many um, judgments or assumptions about things, but just being open and curious and following that curiosity, I think is really important. Absolutely. So it looks like we're coming up on um, our time here. Um, is there anything else, April or Mike, that you'd like to share that you haven't got to yet? Not really. I mean, I, we did cover a lot. <laughs> um, what are your goals for the for the future? What's, what do you got coming up this year? Well, we want to finish up uh, filming the third film. Mm-hmm. Um, that 
as of now, our release schedule, uh, I don't, I don't want to give out exact dates or anything, but if, if we stay on schedule now, it looks like it could be released early next year. Um, but that's, you know, hopeful and I don't want to <laughs> get too many hopes up because I know there's, there is quite a few people looking forward to it. And, uh, as for the podcast, um, I actually just had to, I just finished editing the next four episodes. Um, and that's, um, we have a, a couple that does remote viewing. They will be out Monday, uh, which is probably the same week this is coming out, I believe you yeah. said, right? Mm-hmm. And we also have a bonus show, um, which I don't know if you know this or not, but you helped us out with it, uh, with the uh, short film Animesis. Oh yeah, yeah. We interviewed the uh, two of the uh, filmmakers from that film. Awesome. And that we're going to try and release that as a bonus show, probably like Thursday or Friday, um, just because it's it's not our typical type of show, and uh, you know it it doesn't. I mean, we're not you know dream experts or anything, but it it is a cool little film that we wanted to share with our audience. And, uh, yeah, and they, they have a web series attached to their, their film as well, which is very cool. And, uh, and then the Monday after that is, uh, we have Tom Campbell and he's a two part episode. So that there's a, uh, yeah, uh, I don't have that date that Monday. Uh, was it the 19th? Maybe is his first show. And then the week after is part two. Yeah. And so how can people find the podcast? Uh, you can search um, on iTunes. We recommend iTunes because, you know, with the podcast community, that's it's huge, huge audience. And I, I check the stats once in a while, and most of our downloads are through iTunes. There's a few that come in through the website, but probably about 90% of them are iTunes. And iTunes really helps with the ratings and uh, if we review it, uh, positive or negative, if you liked it or not, we recommend just you know, put something up there, five stars, four stars, whatever. Yeah. And uh, that, that'll help us rank and we get, you know, higher into the uh, uh, the iTunes ranking and they put us on the main page eventually. And uh, that, that'll help, you know, hopefully blow up the audience as well. Um, another place, um, oh, I don't know if I mentioned, but search Path 11 Podcast in iTunes. Right, okay. Um, Cool. And uh, we're on the. You can go to our website, thepathseries.com, and you can find the films. You can find our bios, um, the people in the films. They have little short bios on there. And there's also a tab for the podcast. You can click on that, and you can listen to all whatever 17 episodes or whatever we have out now. And that gets published along with um, uh, the iTunes episodes. So. Every I believe it's every Monday at 3 a.m. the show gets pushed out, um, and uh, if you have an i, uh, yeah, a podcast app on your phone or iPad, iPod, it'll automatically download the latest episode if you're subscribed. Cool. Um, we also put them up on YouTube, but a month, it's a yeah. month behind schedule. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. I can't wait to hear those new episodes, especially the Tom Campbell one. That guy's he's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Is. so it should be good. It's funny because we only asked like maybe four or five questions, and he filled like two hours. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I tried reading his book, My Big Toe. I got through the first one, but it was just too heavy for me. I couldn't. I don't know if I could read the two other books after that. <laughs> yeah, it it did. 
you know, especially the first book, trying to break into that, his rhythm and right. get all the information. It, it did take a while to get through it. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. April, do you got anything last you want to say? No, that's it. I mean, we, we really love to hear from our fans and we're pretty community based. So, you know, we really recommend that if people have suggestions, we personally email everybody back ourselves. Um, you know, having our followers on Twitter recommend some shows, we take all of that stuff into account. So, you know, if people want to interact with us online through our Facebook page, through Twitter, um, or emailing us directly at info at the past series, we'll definitely get back to you. Okay, great. All right, that's awesome. Thanks, thanks, April. Thanks, Mike, for joining me on the show. It's been a pleasure. Well, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Definitely. So, okay, if you guys like the Make a Mistaker podcast, you can leave a review on iTunes. That always helps. Um, also, get your copy of my book, Wake Up, at makermistaker.com slash wake up. And uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram to keep up with my 100 days of making music at Jeff underscore Finley. Subscribe to the blog and the podcast through iTunes or go to makermistaker.com slash subscribe. Check out Path 11 podcasts and the Path documentary series. Great films. Go to thepathseries.com for more Mike and April and to see their trailers and watch the, watch the videos. Great stuff. So thanks again for listening. And until then, take care. Bye.